Beyond Infinity. Let's first of all catch up on all the COVID-19 news and information. Looks like we're going to be coming out of a lockdown according to the latest uh, reports we're getting out of Spring Street despite the fact that we still have huge numbers. Piers Cunningham is our COVID-19 reporter. Piers Cunningham, good morning. Welcome once again to Peninsula Talks. Morning, Brendan. Yeah, I don't think that they've got much choice but to get people out of lockdown because it seems that there's just a lot less compliance going on. We are seeing our numbers go up, although there's a bit of a decrease, 14, 20 new cases reported today off the back of 71,451 tests. 14,410 active cases in the in the state and very sadly 11 deaths. Are we, yeah, are we getting any profiles on those deaths, Piers? Do we know how old the people are that are dying? Is it... oh, I think I think that the consistent story throughout the pandemic is that they're, they're the most vulnerable um, segments of the population, so they tend to be the elderly. I don't have an exact breakdown and I don't think, I'm not sure that the, uh, the health department's that forthcoming about that sort of information because that does kind of undermine the desperation to lock people up, doesn't it? If it's only people with comorbidities and people who are older and more vulnerable. I mean, not to say that they're not worth protecting, but that's uh, that's a different story, isn't it, than than, uh, younger, healthy people dying of the virus. Here's some stats that uh, somebody threw at me last night, and I just want to throw them at you to see uh, Mm -hmm. what your reaction is to them. 248 days in lockdown, 43,000 Victorians have left the state, $107 $107 billion in debt incurred by the government during this exercise. Emergency decrees still in place. No parliamentary accountability. Yeah, look, I agree. I think that it's, it is disturbing what's going on. Uh, you know, we've got, a, we've got a government that is prepared to be pretty reckless with the state's finances. So obviously there's, there's two issues that are, are, are we're talking about. One is a health issue, a health crisis, which is a complicated thing. And not easy for any government to master, but it certainly seems like the Victorian government has sort of you know, made a fist of this because they've had a long time, they've had a lot of lockdown, they've had a lot of, you know, they've bought a lot of time. The idea of lockdown was to prepare your health system to get organised for when you open up so that you can, your hospitals are ready. But, but can I jump in here and ask, well, if they knew that Delta was coming and we've had 248 days of lockdown, why haven't we created some great sort of field hospitals somewhere, perhaps staffed by military personnel, if there's an, an issue about staffing levels around our hospitals at the moment? Why can't we be tapping into some of the medical staff that might be under underutilised in other states and be brought in on a roster system as well if they're not having the same sorts of problems as we are here from, say, WA, Tasmania or South Australia as a national effort to try and confront this COVID-19 uh, morbidity and also... Well, well, I think the reason is that the hospitals in Victoria aren't yet being swamped. You know, that there's still plenty of ICU capacity, there's plenty of ventilators, uh, it's, it's not a situation where we've got to that, that stage, but the government actually has said that they've, they've, they've talked about bringing in uh, nurses from Queensland if it was required. They did famously say uh, back in uh, the beginning of the pandemic that there'd be 4,000 ICU beds. Now, this turned out to be a ridiculous thing to suggest. There's actually video of the press conference where the Premier made that promise. Then he's tried to turn around and, and ridicule the opposition, the state labor, uh, liberal opposition, for trying to you know, bring up that point and ask him why, why he hasn't delivered. He says, oh, well, how could you possibly, how ridiculous to ask when, when uh, there's five nurses required 
to to man each ICU bed, uh, and and how would we how would we do that? How would we stand up an, an additional twenty thousand plus nurses in eighteen months? So, you know, as you say, they, they they could have resorted to emergency measures like get the army involved, bring in uh, bring in uh, extra capacity health professionals from from outside the state. But at this stage, it, it's not it doesn't seem to be required. Now we might be heading that way because. Uh, there are suggestions that Victoria's could have much higher numbers in the next month or so. So it's, uh, I mean, I, I also find the contrast in numbers between Victoria and New South Wales, you know, just very inexplicable as well. You know, we went into this lockdown early, supposedly, when we had much lower numbers than when New South Wales locked down. And at the time, the Andrews government was saying, oh, look out, look out how silly they are. They've, they've failed to lock down. We're not going to have that same thing happen in Victoria. We're going to go early and go hard. Well, Going early and going hard uh, has resulted in us with record daily numbers and a much higher number of active cases in this state than in New South Wales. So it's it's a, it's a failed approach. And I think uh, Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand also coming to that conclusion as well. They've basically given up on trying to uh, stamp it out. They're going to have to try and live with it. And it looks like uh, she's adjusting her policies over there as there's a lot of pushback now from Kiwis, especially in and around Auckland. Yeah, that's right. And she's admitted that Delta can't be eradicated. And she's also looking uh, to Sydney, but not Melbourne, obviously, for lessons. Yeah, I mean, it is sad that the world's last bastion of COVID-free living, the shaky islands across the most, that that, um, you know, that, that last bastion of COVID-free living has, you know, admitted that it can't keep COVID at bay, can't keep Delta at bay, and uh, is adjusting its policy uh, to, uh, to live with the virus. And indeed, it's obvious that it probably can't, given the fact that it looks like science now has been monitoring this new Delta strain, and it looks like it's much more infectious than it once was, and it seems to be evolving into a much more infectious state. Are you seeing any um, latest stuff coming out of the US on that, Piers? Yeah, well, look, there, there, there was an article published in the New York Times which is talking about the way it's evolved to be more effective at spreading as an aerosol. So it seems that there's a clear sort of lineal progression from the first version of, of COVID that, that started out of, out of China early last year to through Alpha, which was a lot more infectious, and then to Delta, which is even more infectious, the one which is now running rampage through most of the world. Uh, it seems that the, the, the key thing that's changing is the, the ability of the virus to transmit uh, as an aerosol. You know, there's different different explanations as to how that's working. It could be that the virus can can infect with less concentration of the virus. So, in other words, it's more effective, it's more efficient. Smaller amounts are more effective at uh, infecting a new host. But it also could be uh, other factors that they actually still don't understand why some people are super spreaders and others not. It's not just high viral load. It can be where in the lungs or where in, in your throat and where the site of infection first first occurred as to how much of that you're expelling. Indeed, if this virus is learning then how to basically become much more infectious, I, I suppose then it underwrites the policies and the principles of what the Victorian government's trying to do, um, saying, look, this is very dangerous, and until we get a handle on this thing, we have got to be very conservative in the way we deal with it. Yes, but I think that they've spent their lockdown capital you know, we're in 250 days of lockdown, uh, accumulative lockdown in the state. It's longer than anywhere else, longer than anywhere else in the whole planet. Sydney siders haven't had anything like as hard a lockdown over the course of the pandemic as we have. I mean, they have had a hard three months, which they're still.
still in. They're yet to open up from, but they're opening up soon. The vaccination levels are higher than in Victoria, so they're 88% first dose in New South Wales and 67 double dose, 67%, whereas in Victoria we're 82% single dose and 53% double dose. So, you know, we're quite a bit behind them. And you'd have to say that given it's the same Delta variant that's, that's in both places, uh, that, that the vaccination level is, is a big factor in bringing down the daily new case numbers in New South Wales, which are only 584 today, off the back of 90,000 tests in the past 24 hours. And one of the one of the interesting differences between Victoria and New South Wales is that they are testing a lot more. We to get our 1420 figure for of new cases today, we only conducted 71,451 tests. So. The only way you're going to come up with any figure of new daily cases is by testing. Are we missing some? This is something that's, that we don't know. But you'd have to assume that we are missing some cases. And, and indeed, down here in the Mornington Peninsula, the good news is, of course, that uh, we're really taking to the vaccines pretty uh, pretty powerfully down here, and we're looking like uh, we're running good first uh, jab uh, numbers and also double jab numbers as well. But mm. a little bit of discussion in the local newspapers over the last 24 hours or so about uh, Tier 1, Tier 2 sites and the fact that down here we don't seem to be getting the information. A couple of local councillors, and I, I see Greg Hunt also getting involved in this as well, uh, discussing why we're not getting the type of information that we need to to keep ourselves safe down here on the Mornington Peninsula. Yeah, we had an increase of something like 20%. So uh, just off the top of my head, from about 50 uh, active cases on the peninsula two days ago to 60 yesterday. So a significant rise. And it's in line with, you know, the increasing spread of the virus after grand final weekend, sort of out into areas the southeast of, of Melbourne, which hadn't previously been as, you know, had as much of the virus and had as many cases. But if you've got those extra cases down here, then why aren't there uh, hotspots emerging? Why aren't there places that are being flagged as, oh, if you've been there, then you need to get tested? That's not happening. So is it people who are coming down from Melbourne? Is it people who... I mean, there really needs to be a better explanation because uh, it's a very large geographical area. It's still fairly low cases, really, for the for the Monica Peninsula, given its size and population. And indeed, uh, some implication there that perhaps we're not getting the love that other sections or other LGAs in uh, the greater uh, Melbourne area are getting. And uh, basically, once again, the Mornington Peninsula being ignored in terms of uh, thinking, policy thinking at Spring Street is the implication of some of these criticisms. Indeed. And, you know, this is one of the concerns is that the Victorian government, well, that they may be favouring the places that they think they're going to get votes in and their heartlands as far as their electoral support is going to be the north and west of the city and not the southeast, uh, where traditional Liberal voters seem to reside. Now, at the same time, they've got a big outbreak. The same big parts of the city, the north and the west in particular, they were worst affected by the uh, earlier outbreak, you know, the one we had a year ago when we were in lockdown for 111 days on end, unlike any other city or state in, in the country. Those same areas uh, are flared up again as, as hotspots. So you'd reckon that the government would have taken note from last year's experience and educated and targeted those places for testing, for pop-up vaccination hubs, all that sort of stuff. But no, it seems that the same problem is, is occurring. So I also personally come back to this idea that they have spent their lockdown capital, that people are very lockdown fatigue now, and you just have to look around, you see the amount of traffic going up and down between Mornington and the Southern Peninsula. I was looking at it yesterday on the way back from the station where I did a show. You know, it, it almost looked like normal traffic. 
it really didn't seem to be a, a place that was in stage four lockdown. Well, it's going to be very interesting by this time next week when hopefully we can encourage you to come back and uh, once again update us on COVID-19 matters, Pierce. Things will, I'm sure, be uh, basically a little bit more flexible in terms of our day-to-day living. And of course, hopefully by the end of the month, we're going to be feeling that good and clear sense of liberation. We can't wait. I must say, it's a beautiful day down here in the Mornington Peninsula Day. The sun is out. The birds are chirping in the trees. We're still vertical. We haven't got COVID-19. We're double vaxxed. And hopefully all things are go for liberation. Piers Cunningham, thank you very much indeed for once again giving us uh, your very important insights into COVID-19. And we thank you very much indeed for your time and effort, Piers. Pleasure, Brendan. I'll, I'll talk to you next week. Indeed. Looking forward to that very much indeed. Yes, Piers Cunningham. Beyond Infinity.